I'm excited about today's message. I believe this principle that God has in Scripture uh, will help you understand a lot about our walks, our personal walks with Jesus. And as Paul's been going through this whole study on it's not about the law, it's about our relationship with Jesus, he turns the corner and he's closing up this letter and he's saying this is how we can do this. This is how we can walk in the Spirit. This is how we are, why we are here. We're here for others. About 20 years ago, there was a book that came out, and probably some of you read it, uh, Purpose Driven Life. And in this book by Rick Warren, uh, there was the first sentence of the very first chapter. Maybe you remember it. But the first sentence in this book was, it's not about me. And so as you process that for a second, if we just get that much down in our relationship with Jesus and our relationship in this world, that it's not about me, then we're here for others. It radically changes the way that we live in this world. And when you see that happen and unfold and you live in community and you care for others more than you do yourself like Jesus did, it really can transform a community. When Ann and I were first married 30 years, 30, it would be 32 years in August, uh, we moved to Hagerstown, Maryland. And after we graduated from college and began a ministry in the inner cities of Hagerstown called the Hagerstown Teen Center. It was a church that was inner city. It had an old gymnasium in the back that hadn't been used for years. And so literally, Ann and I and another couple went in and painted the whole gym. We painted it gray. We put a stripe on it. I put some basketball hoops uh, in the, the walls, and we set up this back part of the building as a place for uh, youth in our community to come into. We had pool and air hockey, and, and then we would give them refreshments or snacks at cost, and then I would give a devotional. So for the first four years of our marriage, I spent every single Saturday night from 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock, and Ann would often join me in Hagerstown at this ministry. So hundreds of kids come to Christ. But on one night when we were there, when I was there, there was this man who came off the streets. We were just right on the streets of Hagerstown, so they had people all over. He came walking in, saw the doors were open, and he walked in. And he was inebriated. He was drunk. And, and one of the men that was there that was a mentor of mine, Jack Hills, went over to him and talked to him and soon found out his name was Jimmy. Jimmy, who was a homeless guy who lived on the streets in Hagerstown, made his way into our church that night at the teen center. And so Jack began to love on him. In fact, he took him home and said, I'll give you a place to sleep and let him sleep in the garage of his house that eventually turned into eight or nine people would sleep in Jack's garage and sometimes even on the porch of his house. Jimmy eventually came to a point where he would come to the teen center and we would put him behind the snack bar and he would serve the teens there. He was missing his top teeth and his bottom teeth and when he had smile, he had the most beautiful smile in the whole world. And the kids loved him because he knew that he was safe and he came to know Christ through relationship with Jack. Because of the, his lifestyle of years before of drugs and alcohol, it caught up with him in the future and he reaped the harvest of planting that, he died. And it was a sad time for the Hagerstown Teen Center. And so what I, what, what I recall is, is, is so amazing. A community of people loved on this guy who his family had rejected, left him, left him on the streets, and he probably burned thousands of relationships. But God let us meet him. But at his funeral, there were over 100 kids that showed up from the teen center to this man's funeral. No family, but these kids that he had impacted. 
And story after story was written, and they would come up and say this about Jimmy, what they loved on him. It was a beautiful picture of what can happen when we walk in the Spirit and we love those around us, that it can transform not only an individual, but a community of people. Paul is now getting to the end of the letter, and he says, when you walk in the Spirit, this is how you do it, and this is what happens when you sow this, you reap this. Grab your Bibles and we'll look at this and turn to Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 1 to 6. And if you're online, I encourage you to grab your Bibles with me. And I'm going to ask you to stand here as we read uh, verses 1 to 6. And if you're at home, I encourage you to stand too as you read God's Word. And look at this passage, how we can walk in the Spirit. Would you read it with me? Galatians 6 verses 1 to 6. Ready, read. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instructions in the word should share all good things with their instructor. You may have a seat. And I'll begin by processing this thought. Our care or your care for others is a reflection of our love for Jesus Christ. Jesus placed the interests of others above himself. And one of the very reasons I get so passionate about Jesus plus nothing equals everything is because there's nothing that we can do. In fact, if we try to do anything to earn our salvation and say it's because of us, we diminish the brutal death of Jesus. We say, your death wasn't really worth what it was worth because it needed me. And so when I think about Jesus plus nothing equals everything, the way we demonstrate our appreciation is the way we walk in love with one another. Love for one another is a byproduct of walking in the Spirit. And I would say this, if me or you or we do not have compassion and love for others, then we haven't spent time with Jesus. About 10 years ago, 6, 10 years ago, time runs together when you've been to a place almost 25 years, we had a Sunday where we found a need in our community and actually internationally too for shoes. There was a tsunami that had come in and so we connected with a ministry called, I think it was Souls for Souls, and we were going to give our shoes to this group of people who would literally had nothing. And so it was a Sunday morning, and, and the message lended itself to give a call to people to give shoes. And so at the end of the service, I said, here's a chance for you to give the shoes that are on your feet that we can send to this place, Souls for Souls, and they'll be given to people who don't have shoes. So First service, people gave, and it was a cold winter day, and a lot of people left in their stocking feet. It was a beautiful sight of selflessness. And so shoes began to pile up in that service, and they piled up again in the second service. And there was a man who contacted me that week, the following week, and told me his story. He said, I walked into the church at the third service, and I saw these shoes up front, and he says, I was angry. And I said, why was you angry? He said, I just bought these boots the day before. And he said, I had paid good money for them, had saved my money for them, and they were work boots, and I liked my new shoes. And 
And he said, I knew that there would come a point that I would have to make a decision to give my boots or not give my boots. He said, so I was angry. I was like, God, I worked hard for these. I, I, I saved for these. And I know Jim's going to ask. And then I have to give my shoe. And he says, so throughout the message, he said, I began to justify all the reasons. By the way, there were some that didn't. It's fine. He said, I began to give all the reasons. God, I don't have money. I can't. I can't afford another. The boots I have, that's why I got new ones. They're old. They got holes in them. And he says, so I was ready at the end of this service to just, here's my list. This is a good reason why not to give. He said, then when the call came to give, he said, the Spirit of God got a hold of my heart. And he said, I knew I was supposed to give. He says, so I got up, and I didn't know this was going on in his heart, but I remember seeing this man come down, and he put his boots down, and he knelt by the side of these boots, and he just took time with the Lord. And he told me later, he said, you know, he said, I even wore my old boots until I got more money and was able to get some new boots. He said, but God did something in my heart in that moment that I realized that after all that Jesus has done for me, if I am not willing to give my shoes for someone in need, how can the love of Christ be in me? That's the picture of walking in the Spirit. And so Paul says, okay, here's how. Look what he says first. Verse 1, he says this, chapter 6. He says, brothers and sisters are Grace Community Church. If someone is caught in a what? What's your Bible say? A sin. You who live by the Spirit should what? What's the next word? Restore. Or you, then he says, do so gently, but watch yourselves, or also you also may be tempted. To restore someone that has fallen, not judge them, not condemn them, not cut them off. Keep in mind what he had to say. He had to say this because this Galatian church was constantly saying, look what I did, look what I did, look what I did, look what I did. I kept the law. I ate this. I had a strict diet. I did better. And they were constantly trying to earn their salvation. And he's reminding them that when someone falls, Galatian church, it's not a chance for you to say, I'm better than them because, look, I didn't sin like them. And so I bump up higher than them. Go to them and gently restore them because they are caught in a sin. It's an interesting verb usage here. In fact, it's an interesting phrase, and I don't see it anywhere else in Scripture. He says, caught in a sin. It's the picture of being ensnared by a trap. It's the picture of when I was a kid, we would set rabbit snares on our property, and we would put an apple in there, and we'd bend a sapling over, and then we would put a noose around, and we would catch rabbits, and we would eat the rabbits, and it was supper for us. And we caught over 40 one winter. But it's a picture of this rabbit walking up, this person walking up, and being enticed by this bait, and then getting ensnared by it. He says, now listen, have Go to them gently. Why? It's the picture of getting snared by the lure of temptation. It's a victim. Hear me out. It's a difference here. A victim of temptation and not just a perpetrator of sin. There's a big difference there. It's like going to them and saying, take heed lest I could fall. Paul would later say in Corinthians, and I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, 12, stand firm because you could fall just like the next guy. We are all one step away from miserably failing. And so it's not going up and saying, there you are again. I can't believe you willing. There are times we willfully sin. Just not going after and then beating them up with condemnation and shame. It's gently going to them and say, boy, that's a victim 
of temptation. Can you see the spirit difference there? Approach them gently. And the key is telling the truth in love and rescuing the wayward friend. It's the way my friend Jack treated Jimmy when he saw him. He loved him. He didn't beat him up and condemn him because he was inebriated. He came after him and he restored him. And Jimmy never responded in any other way but love back to him. And so he reminds him of that. And the truth is, honestly, let's be real honest. How many of us really like going to someone anyhow and confronting them in love? It's a difficult thing to do at times. But as you go, do it with a keen sense of your own vulnerability and so that you won't fall too. Way too often we go just the opposite. Condemnation and shame. The person is already beating themselves up. We don't need to go and beat them up too. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Amen? It's his kindness that does so. Always remember the context here. This is a pious group of people who are trying to earn their way to God by keeping the law. So he says, restore first. Look what he says next in verse 2. He says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. I find it interesting that he uses the word law. Because this whole chapter is, has been, you don't need to do the law. You don't need to do the Ten Commandments to earn your way. You don't have to do these things. But it's the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is summed up in what? Love God, love others. And he says, love like Jesus loves. And he reminds the church that the law is wrapped up in loving God and loving others. We are made for community. And he's looking at this group and saying, listen, gently go to them. Love them like Christ loved you. We need each other. One of my great concerns about this whole pandemic and what I've been praying against is this, is isolation that takes place amongst believers. And some on their own are doing it, but majority aren't. And when we continue to be isolated or set on our own islands and we don't, we're not able to see face to face because of the hard situations that we find ourselves in, the enemy will come in and pluck us off. He will just pick us off one by one because we're not surrounded by community. Let me just speak. If you haven't seen someone in a while and because of their their godly choice or because of a broken immune system and you haven't been able to physically see them, call them. Ask them how they're doing. Check in with them. Say, hey, how are you doing? Let them know you miss them, you love them. We all need community. And that's the picture of here of community. You can't bear someone's burdens unless you're in community to do so. The one another's are impossible to live out when you are only one or the other. Let me give you a, 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 a prime example. Yesterday at our house, um, it was hot out. You, you were hot too, and it was sunny, beautiful, great weather. We pulled out the water slide that was our kids from 13 years ago. It's an inflatable water slide, and it's, it's made for kids like eight and under. But we decided that four adults would use it. Hey, we can be kids too, can't we? So Ann and I and Johnny and Hannah, they came over for supper we, I inflated this thing, got the water hose gone. And, but this inflatable is not designed for people that weigh what we weigh. And so we literally, I kid you not, as people were climbing it, we were standing on either side of it, holding it up so the whole thing wouldn't come tumbling over. 
And there are pictures of just us laughing our heads off. And, and, then, and then one of the times trying to run from the back, I, I tried to run and leap up the top and I could not make it. I kept falling down. I don't have the upset I used to have at 58. And then Johnny comes flying over the top. But we needed each other in order to enjoy this community that was there. And Paul is saying, carry one another's burdens so that you can hold them up, brace them up, so that they can enjoy the fellowship not only with you but with God. But the truth is this, we can be quick to say we are super righteous and they deserve that because of their own sinful choices. It's in those times that we need to be reminded of the gospel, don't we? We need to speak the gospel to ourselves. Remind that Jesus met us in the armpit of our sin and rescued us with grace and mercy. He entered our mess with the message of redemption and delivered us without any conditions. Can I get one amen for that? I praise God for his grace. About 20 years ago, when we lived on Tarman Road in, uh, in, there in New Paris, across the street from us, and a walk up through Viata, was the, is, still is, the Parmore Golf Course. And our family enjoyed golfing, and we knew that the owner that time, his name was uh, Charlie Turner, his son Jeff went on to own the course, but we had worked a deal with Charlie. He was a former Karis Fellowship pastor, by the way, and so he had a heart for us as a family. And so... He said, if you give us golf balls, you find golf balls, I'll give you 25 cents a piece for golf balls, and in turn, I'll resell them. He sold them for 50 cents, 75 or a dollar. I'll give you a family membership at the Parmore Golf Course. We became serious golf ball collectors as a family pretty quickly. I kid you not. It became part of our, like, hey, let's eat supper. Kids would grab their stuff, and we would go look for golf balls. And so we found hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of golf balls. One of these nights, we were walking on hole number seven there, and I had Josh and Hannah with me. And as we're walking the hole, I could hear this faint, help, help. And I wonder what it was. And so we stopped and I said, guys, you hear that? And so we started walking towards the sound. And as we got closer to the sound, on the seventh hole there at Parmore, there's a hill that goes up, there was a golf cart that had tried to go up, it, it turned left, and so it fell on the driver's side, and so it was laying on the hill, and this man was pinned, this young guy was pinned underneath of this cart. He couldn't lift it up off of him, and he was upside down, blood rushing to his head. He had some bruises on him, and he had been there for a while. He was in a bad place. So we walked over, I walked over, and I see this guy, and I said, I didn't come up and say, what'd you do now? Didn't your dad teach you how to drive a car? That's stupid. I'll see you later. No. We tried to walk over and gently restore, carry his burden, lift him up. And I remember getting under this and trying to lift up. And Josh and, and Hannah were small at the time. And I was pushing with everything I had and realized, I don't know if I can get this thing up. And by the grace of God, we were able to get it up enough that he crawled out. I remember thinking in that moment, like, that guy wouldn't have made it without someone reaching out in community to him. And Paul's saying the same thing. Restore, carry, don't beat up, not stupid. Hey, gently restore someone when they do something really stupid. 
all of us need that kind of person in our lives. And so he says in verse 3 then, look at verse 3, he says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. I love that word, by the way. It's the Greek word planio. It's where we get the English word planet. And the word planio, do not deceive yourself, the Greeks during this time would be stargazers. And as they stargazed out, they would follow stars to navigate. They didn't have GPS like we do. So they would follow the planets. And what would happen is sometimes they were following something that wasn't set in place, a planet. And what would happen is it would be a wayward direction and they would be deceived by the planet. And Paul is saying, don't deceive yourselves to think that you know more. Set your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Then and only then will you take responsibility for your own efforts. And he says that then in verse 4. Each should, take, should test their own actions and can take pride in themselves. For each one should carry their own load. You see, Jesus entered our lives to help us. Always remember this. We are better together. So come alongside someone who's feeling the consequences of their choices and the weight of a crushing load of sin. Remind him that there's hope in Jesus and the best is yet to come. This church was filled with people pointing fingers at other people and saying, I'm better than you. You, ain't, you haven't done enough. It's one of the things I love about Grace Community Church. I really, I really do. I said this in all of our services. I really believe that anyone at all could walk through these doors and they would be loved with the love of Jesus. It doesn't matter what tribe, what nation, what color, what ethnicity, what education, what business, white collar, blue collar, or no collar. That is the picture that Paul is putting. That's the picture of love. Verse 6 is often a challenging verse for me personally preaching because I want to say here someone else come up and preach verse 6 because it's speaking to teachers or preachers and look what it says here's what it says in verse 6 Paul says remember this that preacher in your church or that teacher in your church he says nevertheless the one who receives instruction the people you Grace Community Church or that church in the word should share all good things or be generous towards, that's one trans, to their instructor or their preacher or their teacher. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, and Paul was talking to Timothy. Please turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. He says it again to young Timothy in regards to elders. He says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well, not just who do it, but direct it well, are worthy of double what? What's it say? Honor. Especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Let me just say this. And I, and I know my wife Ann would attest this, and we've talked about it on many occasions. We have always been blessed by Grace Community Church. I mean, for 25 years, honestly. It's the most generous group of loving people. I mean, I've done some really bonehead things and made some bonehead decisions through the years. I have hurt people, and you have graciously restored, graciously loved, and always, always been generous. And we were talking this week and just saying how 
blessed we've been with elders and, and pastors and people who have served alongside of us. And even I, I would even speak highly even right now of John Creekmore and Max DeHaven and Mark Gertz and Dennis Dandino and Daniel Yoder and Benny Shank and the pastoral team. Let me just say this. You are blessed by your leaders. They demonstrate what this verse is saying very well. Now he turns the corner. And what I'm about to tell you right now, like, if we get, Jim, 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 if you get this down, Grace, if you get this down, it will change the trajectory of your life. Look what it says in verse 7. Here it is, here it is. Do not be deceived, plan it, wavering, wandering thoughts. God cannot be what? What's he say? Mocked. A man reaps what he what? sows whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap what destruction whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap what eternal life and then he says let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up therefore as we have opportunities let us do good to all people especially those who belong to the family of believers where you are today is a result of decisions you made in the past. Think about that for a second. Wherever you're at today, wherever I'm at today, whatever I'm facing, whatever I'm encountering, wherever I'm at financially, spiritually, physically, is a result of what I put in my garden years ago, weeks ago, months ago, hours ago. Everything that we have now and experience is because of what we planted over there. So wherever you're at today is a result of what and where the choices you made before. Let me, let me say it this way. In addition to that, where you will be tomorrow is connected to what you do today and what you did yesterday. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. So, whatever you choose to do right now will directly impact six months from now, six years from now, six hours from now. And so, you can't do anything about now, but you can do a lot about the future. And so, how you live, what you plant, is what you will harvest. I have people coming to me often, and they say, Pastor Jim, I've been praying. I've finally been given to the church. I've been serving. You know, I've been faithful. I've been eating right. I, I've been exercising. And my world is upside down right now. Why isn't it like it should be? And I said, so what did you do six months ago? What did you do six years ago? How did you eat three weeks ago? Were you faithful to God this past year in your giving? You see, here's the problem. We live in a fast food, I want it now, drive through mentality that says, here, here's my, give me that. And the truth is this. You are experiencing today what you sowed in the ground six months ago. Don't be disheartened by that. It's not a punishment. It's a harvest for what you planted. But the good news is this. If we harvest righteousness Guess what we experience? All the people come to me and say, my, my marriage, it's a mess. All our pastors do. 
It's upside down. Now, you need to come over right now. Can I come in now? Let's fix this. And I'll say, listen to me. What you planted over time will not be fixed overnight. But what you continue to do now and plan over time will correct the future with whomever you're with. Most of us don't want to do the hard work. We want instant gratification. And Paul is saying, whoa. What you are today is a result of decisions you made in the past. Let me just say a few other thoughts in regards to this. What Paul doesn't say is this. People reap what they sow unless they ask for forgiveness. We like to say, but I pray God for forgiveness. Man, I'm so glad. I asked for forgiveness and he, yes, you did get forgiveness, but forgiveness doesn't erase what you have sown. There are consequences for our sins. You can get forgiveness of your sins, but you can't unsin sin. But his mercy, praise God for his mercy. He often withholds what we do deserve. J.D. Greer said it this way. He said, there are lots of motivations not to sin, but one of the most compelling for me is that every time I sin, that sin becomes a deeper part of me. It takes root in my heart. What we sow, we will reap in our minds, our hearts, and our lives. You see, there is a relationship. Hear me out. There is a relationship between your current irresponsibility and what could affect your future. So whatever you're choosing to do right now. Hear me out. Whatever you choose to do right now, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, will directly impact your future. Listen, don't be scared by that. That is an incredible blessing. So righteousness, so generosity. And that's what the harvest will be sow and reap mentality. I want to give you what I would say four principles, I would say, of farming. And, and if you're a note taker, I would encourage you to take notes. Like, this is really going to be helpful to understand this whole process. Here's the first principle of sowing and reaping. We sow and reap in like kind. What do I mean by that? I mean this. We sow and reap in like kind. If I was to plant this bluegrass in the ground, I can't expect azalea grass to come out. And so whatever I plant, if I plant corn, beans aren't going to come up. And so whatever you put in the ground, whatever you sowed over here is what you will harvest later. And so make sure that you sow what you want to harvest. And so the principle is we sow... And reap in like kind. The harvest is limited to what we plant. The quality of your fruit is determined by the placement of your roots. The deeper you go with Jesus, you will bear the fruits of righteousness. Paul would say this in 2 Corinthians, by the way, in chapter 6 and verse 9. He said, you sow generously, you'll reap generously. You sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. People come to me often and say, oh, I'm doing this, Pastor, I'm doing all the right. Listen, hold on, listen. The bumper crop is coming, but it begins today. But today, you are harvesting what you planted back here. So you can't expect a return on something today. Like, when I plant my garden, I didn't go out and say, 
you know what? I'm going to put a seed in the ground. And I wake up the next day and say, I'm going to get some tomatoes. No, it takes time for the germination of the seed and the process. Second principle in regards to sowing and reaping. We reap in a different season than the one we sow in. Don't we? Like, I plant it in April. I didn't walk out two weeks later and harvest in May. So it takes time. But in our world, we want it to happen right away. The harvest comes later than the planting. It takes time to see your efforts pay off. Do you know when is the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. (laughs) See, we don't like that. But that's how long it takes for some of that, for what we desire, the fruit to take place. Sowing is all about the future. That's why Paul said, do not be deceived by all this. Do not follow a wandering planet. Because the harvest comes later makes it easy for the person to forget about the sowing and reaping principle. We only see this day. That's why I often tell people, hold on. God's going to reward that faithfulness. Even though right now your world's upside down, you are experiencing the harvest of what took place over here, but the bumper crop is coming. Remain faithful. Stand firm in the midst of this. Plant love, joy, peace, hope, and be willing to stand when no one else is willing to stand because God will honor that with a bumper crop of hope, peace, love, faithfulness later. It's the planting of this that you receive the harvesting of it. Never forget the law of later. We don't like it, but never forget the law of later. We can't do anything about this year's harvest. Hear me out, but we can change next year's harvest. We can. You might not like where your relationship is at now with your spouse or with a friend. You might not like where you're at now, but listen, you can't change now, but you can change next year's harvest. But we're not good at waiting. We're just not good at waiting. But my Bible tells me those that wait upon the Lord to germinate, the seed will be renewed and will be refreshed. The harvest is coming. Be patient in your waiting because God is taking the roots of what you planted and he's making it firm and strong in him. Third principle, we reap more than we sow. Think about that. When you plant a seed, if you plant a bean in your back in your garden and you put a bean in the ground, you don't go out when it's harvest time and get one bean back. (laughs) Why? You get more than what you planted. So we get more than what we plant with the seed. God God can't multiply what you haven't planted, by the way. Some of us want, well, I want what they have, and how come my marriage isn't like that? And how come, how come I don't see what they're seeing? And I, well, I want, and I say, well, just go back and start planting righteousness. Go back and plant, and God will multiply. Oh, yeah, but I just got, to, I'm just got barely anything. Well, maybe you planted barely anything. How come it just seems like everything they have, God just keeps throwing it on and then more generous, and maybe because they were generous back here. So today, be generous. Today, be faithful. Today, plant righteousness. 
And you will see the harvest of that tomorrow. One plant produces multiple fruit. What starts small can grow into something big. The harvest is proportional to what you offer. All right, I want to talk to parents. This is a hard one. How often do we see kids when they leave the home and go to college out on their own? I have parents come to me and they say this. My kids don't want anything to do with church. They don't want to go to church. And boy, I wish they would. And man, they're kind of wandering out here. And man, what happened? So I go back and ask them, what did you plant in your home when they were home? Were you faithful to church? What did you plant? Did you study the word of God together? Did you show them what it looks like to serve in a local church? Did you show them what it looks like to worship in a local church? Did you show what it means to give? Did you teach them when they got money to give? Did you plant righteousness when they were little? If you, if, if, well, yeah, I went, you know what the average number of people, Sundays that a person goes to church, whether it's online or in person, Two out of six Sundays, the average dad goes to church. Two out of six. What you are modeling and planting for your children, you know what happens when they're on their own? They're getting the harvest of what you planted. Well, I don't want to go to church. Why? Because dad and mom only went two out of six. I don't want to serve in a local church. Why? Because dad and mom didn't serve. I'm not giving to the church. And what you've done, you have set them back for their future. But if you showed them the value of what it means to be a Christ follower, committed all in for Jesus, you got up and said, we're going to worship in the assembly with God. We're not staying at home. We're going to love. We're going to serve. We're going to commit. We are tithing. And you show them that you're generous to others. When you plant that, when they leave home, you know what they get? All that you have planted in their lives. The law and principle of sowing and reaping. Number four, the last one is this. We must let go of past harvest and focus on sowing for the future today. You see, you could live here and say, oh man, I wish I would have. I wish I regret. I wish I. If you keep looking back while you're here, then you make no forward traction here. You don't even plant righteous. You just live in shame and condemnation and guilt. Today is the day we serve the Lord. Forget about the past. Rise up today and impact families and generations to come. We have a chance today to impact tomorrow and our future. And no one else can do it for you. We only harvest if we persevere. We must continually Weed the gardens of our hearts by checking our attitudes, our thoughts, and actions. That's why he says in verse 9, look what he says in verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not what? What's it say? Give up. Teach your kids to not give up. Let me give you an example. Back in April, I went out and planted our garden, 24 tomato plants, 20 pepper plants, potatoes, onions, cucumbers, squash, 
broccoli, cauliflower, watermelon. And I planted the plants and put some seeds in the ground, put, cut the potatoes and put them in the ground and put the starter onions. And I tell you, it was, I was pretty proud. It looked, man, it looked good. Like, I planted. I got a harvest that's coming. I wasn't really good at watching the weather because four nights later, a frost came and I missed it. And so I went out the next morning. You know what happened to the garden? Every single plant wiped out, just wiped out. So you know what I did? I yanked them out and I threw them aside and I went to County Road 50, 15 in New Paris and I went to Country Nursery and I bought some more plants and you know what I did? I replanted. I didn't become weary and doing well. I knew I had to persevere and so I planted again and I planted and I stood back and said, not next time, you're not going to do this again. So I pulled my phone out and pulled out the weather bug, which I think is a great weather app, by the way, because it always keeps the rain away from Grace Community Church. (laughs) I can have some fun, okay? (laughs) So I saw that a frost was coming. You're not getting me this time, Mr. Frosty. And so I went to the garage and I grabbed some Visqueen. You would think by 58 years old you would know better than this. But I still make dumb things and do dumb things. So I grabbed Ann and Josh, and we went to the garden, and we covered the whole garden with this queen. Covered it up, covered it up, and put logs around the edge. Because I saw that frost was coming Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and potentially Thursday. Like, you're not getting my plants this time. But no one told me that if you keep your garden covered more than 24 hours with this queen, guess what happens? Frost went through, I kid you not. I went back, ready to pull back the old, I know you think I'm dumb, but hey, I'll never do it again. And I pulled back that old plastic, and you know what I looked at? Every single plant was dead. Oh, Jim, do not become weary in doing well and doing good. You know what I did? (laughs) And you know what I did? I planted again. I planted again. I planted again. I planted. Plan it again. I plan it again. Just yesterday, I walked out after tilling the garden, and I stood back, and man, the harvest is going to be good. There's going to be tomatoes this big, and it's going to be good. And you know why? Because I didn't give up when it got hard. I just went back and replanted faithfulness. I went back and believed that somehow if I stayed at it and didn't become weary and doing good, that God, listen, look what it says. If I went at the proper time, I will reap a harvest if I do not give up. It's worth persevering in the midst of a pandemic. It's worth saying, I believe that God's going to get me through this. I'm going to sow thoughts of faith. I'm going to willing to stand when no one's willing to stand. I'm going to say my God is in charge. I'm going to say that he did it before. He'll do it again. I'm going to say, I'm going to plant that my God is a God of miracles. He can halt this virus and I will stand in the midst of it. And one day I will say, it's because I planted those thoughts that my God is good and we're going to have a bumper crop and he's going to have a breakthrough. That's the picture. And he closes out as a reminder. Therefore, as we have opportunity, 
Let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. We are stronger together. Let's keep the most important thing, Jesus, the most important thing. Oh, God, help us. God, when I read this, I just long to see blessing and favor and righteousness harvest from our people and from my own life. And God, I recognize that the things that I'm planning now will affect future family, future generations, grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-grandchildren. It is worth persevering. It is worth holding the course. It's worth planting righteousness. It's worth being faithful. It's worth being generous because you reward us generously. Oh God, help us to plant a seed of righteousness so that the future generations are blessed by it. In Jesus' name, amen.